This show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They're part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Essentially, Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as someone who would be a huge fan of the Louisville Cardinals if only I knew what sport they played. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, we're going to do our first ever roundtable on Recode Decode. And this week, I have been visiting towns in West Virginia and Kentucky, learning about the future of tech jobs in an area that is a little different from Silicon Valley. I'm joined in the studio in Louisville, Kentucky, by the CEO and founder of Tech Jobs Tour, Leanne Pittsford, the CEO of Interapt, Ankur Gopal, Crystal Atkins, a student from their program, and Ryder Rodriguez, who founded Code Louisville, who's working with the government to bring more tech jobs to the area. Welcome, everybody. Great to be here. Good. So it's a lot of people, so I'm going to just go slowly um, and make sure everyone has a lot to say. It's a really amazing couple of days I've spent here in both West Virginia and Kentucky. Um, there's been a lot of focus this past election on jobs and on bringing back coal jobs, specifically in this region, uh, which I think is is kind of misplacing where the future is going. Um, and then there's a lot of efforts in the area that we've seen to uh, to try to diversify the economy, and in one area is in tech, um, which means everyone here is competing with people globally in Silicon Valley and all over everywhere. It's a, it's a really interesting attempt to do it. It's an interesting attempt to train people, and we're going to talk about it. Let's start, Leanne, first uh, with you. We, this is the tech job store, which I, I went on with you when we visited uh, Paintsville and Pikeville, Kentucky, and we're in West Virginia and Charleston. Can you just give a very short description of what you're trying to do here? Yeah, so it's, it's you know, the Tech Jobs Tour. So we're going on tour across America. It's one year, 50 cities, 100,000 jobs. So right now in America, there are over half a million open jobs. And at the same time, there's this intense growth, growth of non-traditional talent. So online courses, coding boot camps. And I work with a lot of um, tech companies, and they really don't know how to hire from this new generation of technical talent. So we wanted to go across America, especially post-election, and really find out what's working in each city because there's so much innovation and incredible talent across America. And essentially what we're trying to do is bring together the ecosystems. Oftentimes, you know, this was our 10th stop in Louisville, and the employers and the people who need jobs actually just need to connect. It's sometimes as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So we're really trying to do that and then figure out how we can, you know, scout and scale things that are working in each market. And you're trying to call attention to it. Exactly. It's America is hiring. Hashtag America is Hashtag hiring. America is hiring. Now, we have lower levels of employment right now in this country, but it's shifting people to the jobs that, that are better and pay better and are not part of a sort of a dead-end situation where things are going to be going away. Right. It's, it's more than jobs. It's economic opportunity, right? It's the promise of the American dream. Right now, the average salary for Americans is about twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. The average tech salary is over eighty thousand. That's and a huge increase. I mean, that will change your entire life. So, explain super briefly what you're doing. You're going to these towns and holding events, and give me like a quick. Yeah, we you know we throw events in a different way. We say it's networking that doesn't suck, right? So we have okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so many events you go to, and you're just like, and there's ten people walking around, and maybe if you're lucky, there's a, a beverage of some kind, but. You know, we really pull in all the leaders, right? There's so many incredible people. So we start with them, you know, what's actually going on. Um, We do a career fair in most markets. Um, We have something called speed mentoring. So um, 30-minute sessions, we usually combine, you know, the talents that you're looking for. So we put the designers together and the coders together. um, And it's about 30 minutes each session, five minutes a piece. Some of our mentors, you come in and say, I've given more advice today than I have in years. This Mm -hmm. would take me 10 coffees to set up. People who are looking for a job are like, wow, like I've just never had so much incredible advice. Which people so. in Silicon Valley do all the time and every day. Right. But doing getting that type of access for people, our events are free. And then we actually work with some of the best companies in the country, getting their people to come and mentor other people. Right. So there's sort of people are desperate to find people in these areas. And at the same time, people don't know where they are or exactly. not aware of them. All right. Ankar, can you talk a little bit about what you involve with here? Because you look like right out of Silicon Valley right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say. <laughs> like, 
I've missed you people, so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did spend time there, so maybe that's the influence. But uh, no, I'm I'm a Kentucky native, born in Owensboro, Kentucky. And, right. you know, when I growing up, like many Kentuckians, success meant leaving mm-hmm. and getting out. And so I you did. went to high school here? I did. At, at, and college? or uh, No, I went to University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And then, not far. Not far, but, but kind of a different world almost. Yeah. It was... Um, Went there for undergrad, wound up working at Accenture, got, cut my chops in consulting, and, and really gained a lot of experience by working in the Valley, working in D.C., Chicago. So why didn't you come back? What was the why thing? The, the people talked a lot about that on this tour, that people not coming back, that yeah. they want to live here, but they have no opportunity to do I think so. you just said it's the opportunity. I mean, there's not a, you know, especially when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of technology. Op- I was a gadget guy. I liked innovation. I like technology. So I wanted to work in that. And Accenture afforded that to me. And I was teaching and guiding large companies on IT strategy and how what they should need to be investing in. So it was it was really a rush to do that kind of work. But, um, you know, as as you keep consulting, you go into the, the, the road warrior mode and it, eventually it, it wears on you. And I said, I want to do something a little more impactful. And that was starting my own company. And, and when you were here, you were a gadget guy. I like to go back to people's backgrounds. Was there anything that would push you that way or just something you just were interested in computers? Yeah, or? you know, it, it, I think it goes back to my parents. Um, my dad educated his way out of India and, and you know, it was a blue collar family and, and he you know, got a master's degree here. My mom's a physician and she worked in a small Western Kentucky town and, you know, she never turned a patient away. She saw the, you know, the, the, the Medicare, Medicaid population that a lot of physicians may not have wanted. So mm-hmm. I gained a lot of that empathy from, from her. And, but, but mostly they always guided and inspired me to like try new things, follow my passions. And, and when they saw me interested in tech, they, you know, help me buy me a computer. Was there a lot of focus on tech here where, within the schools or not? Just You just liked what what inspired you? Like, no, I th- it was not. I Steve mean, Jobs got to be Steve Jobs. I don't know what was <laughs> it. It's always Steve Jobs. I think what inspired me was that when I went out, if you will, into the cities, I saw how many people were just like the people I grew up in, in Kentucky. We have plenty of smart people. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's not about getting out. It's about guiding the right people, guiding, giving people guidance. So, for mm-hmm. example, in Owensboro, Kentucky, I know I have friends and colleagues who sold companies to Yahoo and Google, and, and they're in New York and San Francisco doing amazing things. Um, so I know it's not a lack of intelligence, mm-hmm. right? They also left and they found their opportunity because somebody guided them along the way. Kind mm-hmm. of when you know when I came back here and was asked by our governor and congressman to kind of take on this effort, I, I said, this, if this works, this could impact a ton of people's lives, and it's worth a shot. And frankly... I'm super proud of our team for for doing it. So I think so. So I want to get later into why you came with the, the coming back of people to areas because that's happening in Detroit and other areas. What does Interapp do? Uh, Interapp, we have two lines of business. One, we do innovation as a service. So we have an IT services firm for large companies. They they source out a lot of innovation work to us, and we help roadmap that. We have another line of business, which is opportunity as a service, which is essentially going to communities. Opportunity as a service. That's a new one. You can't even pronounce that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, we've seen this in action where we can go into communities, you know, help extract some of the, you know, people that could be a good fit for a tech career, uh, guide them, give them the the training and and the apprenticeship sort of portion of the program as well to get them ready for a job in software development. Okay. And Crystal, you work there, correct? Correct. So can you give me your background a little bit? Yeah, so, Crystal, you, how old are you? Do I'm you 30. 30. Okay. So you were living here? Um, actually, yeah. I, I lived in Louisville. Um, my husband and, and I um, lived not too far from here, actually. And when he lost his job, we had to sell our home mm-hmm. um, because what I was making wasn't enough to pay our mortgage. And what all were you bills. doing? Um, I was working help desk for um, one of the big companies here, mm-hmm. So, um, which was nice. They let me work remote. So I got to work from home. So when we sold our house, I'm like, okay, not a problem. You know, we'll move in with in-laws for a little bit. Oh, God. We'll get back on our feet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, Not a problem. How nice um, you say that. But uh, unfortunately, Eastern Kentucky has a, a bad problem with internet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either really slow or really inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, um, the opportunity I was afforded to work this from is home, Lu- This is in, from Louisville, right? Right. Well, I, um, well I, do, yeah. I moved from Louisville to Pikeville. Pikeville, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, because that's where my in-laws were. That's where my husband grew up at. Just a very small town. Uh, yeah. Yeah, actually, I think he said there was only like 150 people in his graduating class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was really small. And uh, so the opportunity I was afforded to be able to work from home was taken away, essentially, um, because that Internet connectivity just wasn't there, wasn't mm-hmm. reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we heard about Techie, or when I heard about Techie on the radio, I was like, I hated coding. I, like, I have a... Um, an associate's degree in information security and network um, 
Information Security and Network Administration, sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, I took coding classes and I hated it. Right. It was like, I, I swore I'd never take another one. But I was like, I have to take a chance on this. You know, I'm unemployed. My husband's unemployed. How are we going to get back on our feet? Right. And um, I loved it. Like right. that change from learning the academic coding to learning how it really works, like in the real world, like I love it. Like there's so much passion there that I never knew I had. I want you to let how the program works because it is. They hire you to learn to code, which I think is really interesting. And we were at BitSource, which is better known in Silicon Valley and some others. And that's in Pikesville, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. So explain your background. You grew up where in Kentucky? I grew up in Mount Washington, Kentucky, which is just um, about 20 minutes from Louisville. So it's close, close right. into a big city. And then you moved to Pikeville, which is a, a couple of hours yeah, away. Yeah, three and a half hours. In yeah. eastern Kentucky, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Um, which is a big difference, the, the differences between the Kentuckys, apparently. And I'm, I'm a city slicker, apparently. I'm misspeaking but I think that's correct yeah. and it's it's very much in the mountains it's it's it, you know it's very beautiful uh ha- they were hodlers that's exactly what they were yeah um, um and it's beautiful and and so but remote and most people there in Pikesville when you moved there where your in-laws were what did they do a lot of people um worked retail uh-huh. and they um, they had been coal miners yeah they had been coal miners um there's a lot of displaced coal miners and there's a lot of just unemployment there just because those coal mi- the coal mines are gone um, I mean, they're coming, people have jobs, but they're not coming back. And right now, like I see kind of a, like a, as an outsider, I see like how much like a program like this is going to help. There are still places that I go that don't take debit cards, mm-hmm. which blows my mind mm-hmm. every time. I'm like, mm-hmm. how, how is this possible? But it's, you know, getting us trained and taking a chance on us. And that's really what it was, is taking a chance to say, you know what? I don't know if you guys are going to be able to do this, but I want to try to make your lives better. Sure. And so explain the program you went into. So called, you heard it on the radio. A lot of people yeah. we were talking to, everyone heard it on the radio, Yeah, uh, which was really interesting. Yeah. The first place I heard it was on the radio. I seen an ad for it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I seen the ad for it on Facebook, I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. Um, but so the program was 30 So you trust weeks. ads on Facebook? Well, be careful. You're going to end up buying a Russian set of nesting dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a 32-week program. It's extremely intense. Um, we started out doing uh, just basic web development stuff, so HTML, CSS. That went into JavaScript and then into Java or, or uh, Swift. Um, I chose the Android uh, development pro- um, process, mm-hmm. so I went into Java, and that was four weeks, and mm-hmm. then another four weeks into Android development. And once that was done, that was around Christmas time, and then we went into um, our apprenticeship. Right. So, so it's the idea of apprenticeship, which I thought was really interesting, which yeah. has been an old American tradition. Which is in, So you were paid to do this. You did not pay. Correct. correct? Yeah. I was, and it's called, what's the program called that you were on? Uh, Techie. Techie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was in Pikesville. Uh, well, actually, it was in Paintsville. Paintsville. Yeah. Okay. So I drive 90 miles round trip to get there every day. Yeah, it was. I did that yeah. drive yesterday. It's yeah. a long drive. It's a long drive. Yeah. So you went to Paintsville to that, uh, to the Sandy. Big Sandy Community Technical College. Right. And we're basically paid to learn so you're on the job training that mm-hmm. that you were paid for which you didn't have expertise in before no that is correct I did not. how many people were in your class we started with 50 i believe there are 17 of us who made it through the apprenticeship and are now hired with interrupt okay but what uh, happened to the others well there were 35 of us that made it to the apprenticeship and um, the ones that didn't take their offers or didn't get um, employed with Interapt actually still got tech jobs around around the um, area. Around the area. Mm-hmm. And what happened to the others? Uh, there was a lot of, I mean, this was hard. This mm-hmm. was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I said, it's uh, about an hour one way to get there. I, there were many nights I didn't leave campus until 10 o'clock. And right. I was there at 7 the next morning um, just because it, it took a lot of discipline and a lot of just wanting to do this and I think some people didn't realize how hard it was going to be and we had that kind of attrition and then um, some people just had personal problems that come up Um, and you know those are you know things we we kind of expected to happen but uh, we like to say that we kind of went through war together and we've Mm -hmm. the ones of us who are left we're like a a giant family it's a great atmosphere one more question a lot of people are telling me a lot of people don't think they can do it they don't think of themselves this way or they're not stupid precisely but this is not how I envisioned my life you or know, how I ever envisioned my life. You know, when I started, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to like this. I don't think I can do it. But you know what? If I just make it three weeks, that's three weeks of pay that I didn't have that's going to help me get back on my feet. Um, and I had to take that chance. Like, mm-hmm. because for me, it's not about, 
you know what, this is the same routine I've been in. I'm comfortable here. You have to take risk if you want to make your life better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so taking that risk for me was like the biggest thing. Like I can't be scared just because I think I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, this was the best thing. Like I finally found a career that I'm so passionate about and Mm -hmm. I love coming to work every day. All right. Now, Ryder, you work for the city of Louisville. You you do explain uh, coding Louisville. Sure. Code Louisville is Code a, Louisville. yeah. Uh, Code Louisville's a, a way to learn coding by leveraging uh, online content, mm-hmm. um, but with a support system. So it's right. not just hey, here go log in and do it at your own pace whenever you want. And right. Maybe six months later, you learn something really basic. This is you know, we take the content, curate it, put it around you know into twelve week chunks. Um, have you meet with other people who are going through it at the same time? Mm-hmm. You've got uh, weekly targets that you uh, need to hit in terms of how much you complete. Um, and uh, you not only get together with other students, um, but mentors. And we recruit uh, software developers who do this for a living, who do this throughout the day, and then come and volunteer their time in the evening to help coach people through it. And these are it. classes in Louisville or across the state? It's in Louisville. Louisville right only. Yeah. What is your background? Why did you? Why are you doing this? Yeah, so I'm uh, the person who would have gone into, uh, who would have been a, a developer if uh, when I was going to college, it wasn't basically a math degree, Rutgers. Rutgers. Are you from? from I'm from Jersey. Jersey. Born and raised, <laughs> and I was in the, uh, in the Army for a few years. So then uh-huh. when I got out, I was like, all right, so what's why next? Why Kentucky? Louisville. Uh, I mean, I... I I'd been to Kentucky before, but I wanted a city that was, you know, because I grew up close to New York City, mm-hmm. but I wanted some of that, but something a bit smaller and a bit more accessible in Louisville seemed to fit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, after I got out of the Army, I was I was doing tech in the Army mm-hmm. uh, for nine years. Um, but, yeah, I was I wound up doing political science because the computer science degree was basically a math degree. Right. And I, I did four years in high school in New Jersey of computer science and loved it. It was very much more applied. We were always hands-on keyboard. It wasn't just sitting there and sure. listening. Um, that Academic I coding, which Crystal yeah. was just talking about. Yeah. So at, at Build Code Louisville, that was the thing I would have loved to have done when I was 19. Right. You know, before, back then I remember buying C in a box, uh-huh. 32 discs, uh-huh. you know, and a huh. big buck. Well, good luck. I mean, that was the only way if you they, weren't going to do it in school. Sure. And you had to do it yourself. Exactly. Yeah, right. and that's, I didn't become a developer because that was kind of a lift and, you know, I didn't manage to get over the hump. But, um, you know, I came to Louisville, this uh, challenge was presented that, you know, there weren't enough software developers here. Mm-hmm. When we looked at the, you know, kind of the traditional way, the, you know, the four-year schools, there's no way to ramp it up to get enough people learning it in any amount of time. And so, so we, you came here and started this or you, this was your job or you were doing something else here yeah so i landed um first was working as a project manager then i got connected with a job uh, in the city in workforce development so you know all sorts of uh, helping people get skills to get jobs and uh, helping companies find people with those skills and code level was just a project underneath it kind of fell in my lap because i'd done tech for so long and just had a passion and an interest for it so how many people have gone through the program We've graduated over 600 unique people, mm-hmm. um, and most people do more than one of the uh, 12-week courses because it just takes a while. Right. You know, so we some people are able to do 12 weeks and get and into a job. And what do they do after? They do these courses in lots of different areas. Yes. Um, we've had uh, 150 people uh, get jobs or uh, move up, you know, something related to Code Louisville, but we also uh, have a lot of people who are just trying to, to learn for their own uh, for their own uh, interest, we were intentionally very open mm-hmm. and very broad. We try and prioritize people who um, have more of a need, but you know, just intentionally, um, we want to accept as many people who had an interest and a passion because we have you do pre work and it's you know twenty thirty hours that you have to spend on your own. We don't charge you, but you have to put your own time. Put your in. own time in. And what kind of people are these people Everything. looking for? It, 18 to 67-year-old, mm-hmm. um, primarily in the 25, 35. So people who you know get out of college, get into the workforce, and we're like, I, this I don't is not. I want to work at Walmart. Right. Exactly. And right. they want to retool. Right. Um, so that's the majority, but it's a huge spread from GED to PhD. And it's that's kind of powerful if you're the person with you know who didn't get your high school diploma but got the GED 
and you're keeping up as well as the person with the PhD, that is incredibly empowering. Do you, uh, and you don't charge at all, and then who pays for this? Right now it's grant-driven. Grant-driven, and not by the city, but the city's pushing it to get, diversifying the economy, essentially. Correct, correct. To try to do that, and that's a big push here. Yeah, and it's not necessarily about tech in particular. Mm-hmm. It's about um, these skills applying to any industry. Any industry. Yeah. I mean, Some of which is coal, correct? Not in Louisville, right? But yeah, coal is a highly Eastern technical West. industry. Yeah, I mean, that's part of why the, you know, the, I guess the ex- extraction is pretty comparable, but the number of jobs are down. Right, exactly, yeah. and are probably not coming back, although they yeah. seem to hope that here. Uh, can we talk about that a little bit? Because what's really interesting is that a lot of people, one of the people who was working for the state of uh, West Virginia, at least, it's, same, it's the same story, was that the focus on coal. It's a one-industry state, and, and although Kentucky certainly has other bourbon and horses and everything else, but but a lot of coal going on. Um, Leanne's laughing because she drank so much. Um, but um, it's a one interesting thing, and they were talking about they want to turn it from coal to cornflakes, like anything they can do with coal, but it has to change. How, how, is it hard to find employees here? Because that would be your biggest challenge, correct? Yeah. And, and, Qualified you know, employees, sure, sure. and not just contract with someone in Romania or India or wherever. Yeah, where they're know, already well down that path. Sure, exactly right. We've we um identified talent here and we said, "Hey, we know some of the universities were were teaching kids curriculum that we didn't really f- need for, you know, the the kind of work we're doing. We're mm-hmm. working on the bleeding edge and cutting edge tech on Android, iOS, etc." One of the biggest things as we interviewed people is that we found that like, like Crystal mentioned, academic coding, right, was not real-world coding. They didn't know how to work in a true software development right, uh, cycle. life cycle. So, you know, all these lessons we learned of, of, from people who didn't make it, we kind of put that into our curriculum, right? Um, and and I think that when you talk about, you know, coal being a one-economy sort of area in eastern Kentucky, um, it doesn't. it's not just the coal miner that's affected. It's all the various industries that, that are right. around it. It's right. a ripple effect. So all of them have declined. And we've seen... You know, people who had their own companies at one point supplying, you know, working. Supplying coal miners. Co- but, I think but, it's one it, yeah. one coal miner represents eight jobs or some, something right. like that. And, so we all, and we know that, but we know when we, if we create a tech job, it, it creates, what's the ripple effect, Leanne? It's a five, five to five, but six. But they were saying the eight was based on a taxpayer situation. Taxpayer so situation. it's actually the same. It's both five. Right. But it's more, right? right. I mean, right. And, I, and I think that's what inspired us to kind of go and tackle this problem. And because we, I said, being from Kentucky in a small town, I knew there's smart people everywhere. Mm-hmm. I said, they're... What if they just need the opportunity and, I, and the guidance that I was lucky enough to have when I was younger? Yeah. And some things, I, like Ryder said, he wished that was there when he was 19. There's tons of stuff I wish I knew when I was 19 as well. Mm-hmm. But I said, if I can help someone shave three to five years off their Struggle. journey journey right. by giving them a little guidance, that's going to be really rewarding. And that's what we kind of inspired our whole team to go do this. So we, when we learned, what we learned about the people that we selected was that they were very hardworking, very driven. And, you know, in Crystal's case, she said it was hard. She said there were probably times where she felt that she wasn't going to pass the hump, but she did. Right. And that's a testament to the people in our program, and like Crystal, that said, we're not going to give up on this. And it, it was it was really inspiring to see how that helped, you know, m- make a little mark in, in, in a place that didn't see a lot of tech historically. Well, great. When we get back, we're going to talk more about that, the perception of what a techie is and, and some of the discussions I've had with people around being stupid, not being able to do it, the hillbilly <laughs> mental, you know what I mean? Like, he, this is not who we are, which is really interesting. And that's a, been a big issue in this election and everything else. So when we get back, we'll talk about that and more. We're here with a really great panel talking about America is hiring a tech tour that is taking place to try to bring uh, more tech jobs across the country, which has been a big issue. Today's show is brought to you by Audible, which has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. And you can listen to all of that wherever you are, even in Kentucky, thanks to Audible's free apps for iOS, Android, and Amazon devices. I've been listening to Shattered about the Hillary Clinton campaign while I've been driving. It's not a streaming or rental service with Audible. You own your books. Everyone, give me one book I should listen to next. Leanne, why don't you start very quickly? Um, Handmaid's Tale. Very disturbing tale. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Crystal? The, the History of Everything. Oh, great. That's a great one. Norse Gods, Neil Gaiman. Norse, oh yeah, that's a very popular one, Norse Gods and... Uh, the 10% Entrepreneur. Why? Oh, what's oh, it's a fantastic book. It's about becoming an entrepreneur in your spare time. In your spare time? If you will, but a little bit more than that, but it's really, really well written. Fantastic. When you become an Audible member, you get a free book every month, plus a 30% discount on all regularly priced audiobooks. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode, download a title free, and start listening. 
It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash D-E-C-O-D-E. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today at the low, low price of free. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. So I'm here in New York, and I ran into Peter Kafka. Kara Swisher, what a surprise. What are I you doing know, here? I'm doing New what York What are you doing things. in this podcast studio? <laughs> I'm here to see the latest Michael Moore show or something. Something on Broadway. So what have you been talking about this week in media? Trump. We always talk about Trump, Trump in media. Trump, Trump, Trump. In this case, we had Charlie Warzel on mm-hmm. from BuzzFeed and Oliver Darcy from CNN. These guys both specialize in the pro-Trump media. And guess what happened while we were talking about pro-Trump specialize media? in the pro Oh, writing they about people write who about love the Trump. Breitbart and Infowars and mm-hmm. Drudge. And what while, a week. while that was happening, Bannon got fired. It was wow. very exciting. You get to hear it live on tape. So what was their takeaway? Um, we they walked us this. through the entire universe. We didn't talk about Bannon getting fired. We did talk about it. We talked about the entire universe of really digital pro-Trump media. And right. sort of what they do, how they work, why they're important, even though that Fox News and conservative radio are still very important, um, where they came from, the whole rogues gallery of people, how they go about reporting these people, even though mm-hmm. they're from CNN and BuzzFeed to Publications oh, please, they'll talk to anybody, hate. right? That's, that's actually the short answer. Oh, it's come true. on. It's great. Yeah. These guys are great. Um, they're super fun. They do an interesting kind of journalism that a few people are doing, and yep. it's great to talk to them. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am here in Louisville, Kentucky, drinking heavily. No, I'm not. Uh, I don't drink. Um, and we're doing a first-ever roundtable on Recode Decode from here, talking about bringing jobs to different parts of the country, in this case, West Virginia and Kentucky. A lot has been written about trying to revive coal jobs here and other jobs, but this is an effort to try to bring uh, Silicon Valley here. Let's talk a little bit about that, uh, Crystal, first. The idea is you know, all around the country, There's we're going to make Silicon this. It's been going on for years, but things are changing in, in tech where you can work remotely, where it doesn't have, you don't have to create these analog hubs that are competing. Can you talk about sort of the ideas of how people have of themselves here? You know, you had a lot of people in your class, people dropped out. Do you have to think of yourself as a tech hub in order to be that? I don't think so. You don't have to because, um, you know, the where, where we are at, uh, a lot of people like, like I said, they don't really know a whole lot of tech. And like we talked about yesterday when, when we met in the Paintsville office was mm-hmm. um, you can love art, but you can still go into tech. You can work in design or mm-hmm. UX and um, UI mm-hmm. and things like that. I think a lot of people don't realize that they have these passions for this other stuff that can translate into tech and mm-hmm. that can um, essentially transform these small towns that are dying because of, you know, the coal's decline into booming places where people can live and thrive and can let their families grow up there. They want to stay there. Some saying they want to stay in the mountains. Yes. They, they like it here and then have no choice but to leave. Right. Right. And that's what my husband did. He got a bachelor's degree in CIT um, mm-hmm. and he said, I can't do anything with this in Pikeville. I've got to move to Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's where we met. But, you know, now that, you know, he's he's been unemployed for a while, you know, we had to go back. And that's the biggest thing, you know, we're seeing is that um, he's been unemployed for almost two years. We've been back in Pikeville for a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. And um, he still can't find a job there. Like, mm-hmm. there's just there's just nothing there. And it makes me sad to see all these people. They're so smart. Um, holding on to this idea that coal is going to come back and it's going to make things so much better for everybody when the fact is it's it's a finite resource and we've got to find a way to move move away from that and doing stuff like the techie program in these um, in these areas is like the best way to get people to realize that you know maybe you don't think you can do tech maybe maybe you can't but you don't know until you try mm-hmm. you know and if we can get this to work then look at what we can do for your cities Right, right, exactly. So when you're talking about, you're from Kentucky, Ankur, and when, and Leanne, you've traveled all around the country. When would people do that? How do you change perceptions, Leanne? How, how do you get people to shift um, yeah, I mean, from what they imagine? Because they have a version of of techie, Mark Zuckerberg, essentially. Yeah, we think of a white guy in a hoodie. And I mean, that honestly, that's the, the mindset in San Francisco still, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it doesn't matter where you live. That is what you imagine when you think mm-hmm. of a technical person. I mean, one of the things we're really trying to do is around visibility. So mm-hmm. hometown heroes. So, I mean, there's so many people. We had an event, our, sto- our, our stop in San Francisco uh, a couple weeks ago, and we asked people where they were from. And, you know, it was all across America. And we said, you know, come on tour with us. Come back to your hometown. Let's raise you up. Let's tell your story. And then people in your hometown will see you, see what you look like. And this, these are women and people of color that have jobs at Google and Twilio and Pinterest 
And so, you know, that's part of it is sort of making visible what is invisible in mm-hmm. some of the markets. Um, it's also what you were talking about. It's not just, you know, this back end technical job. It's it's building something beautiful. You know, I mean, so many times people think it's a Facebook app, mm-hmm. but we use technology to solve the world's most challenging problems. And I think for a lot of people, it's just connecting those dots um, that you don't have to do something like build an app so you can talk to your friends more so you can date. You know, you can build something around art or social justice. So you've gone to 10 cities. What other cities have you gone to? Um, we've been to um, Cleveland, Baltimore, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle. And where else are you going? Um, everywhere. And if there are cities that you want that are not on our list, we will go. <laughs> so we're mm-hmm. doing 50. I think it's actually up to 54. Do they have anything in common, like this concept of jobs or where the future? Yeah, I mean, to understand you, what's going to happen to not just in Goal, but everywhere else. A lot of the auto industry, for example. I mean, every city has its own individual issues and things and opportunities, right? Um, some cities are more known for something versus the other. But, you know, when we come into places, I think one of the things is a true pride of where people live. Mm-hmm. And they're really concerned that we're coming in and taking jobs away. And right. so that, that ends up being a big part of the conversation. And we're actually really wanting to do the opposite. Um, right. Obviously, we want people to have jobs. And if there are only jobs in another city, then that's that's really important. Um, but this is the long game, right? So how do we get companies of all kinds, because everything is tech now, to think about opening offices in other cities besides San Francisco, New York, or Boston, or thinking about working remotely, right? One of the companies that came with us this trip um, was from Automatic, who um, is the WordPress. company behind WordPress, mm-hmm. um, which a third of the internet lives on WordPress, and they're fully remote. So they mm-hmm. don't actually have a hub. There. They never did. They never did. Um, 600 employees now. So a third of the inter- internet is connected to 600 employees who work. Um, all across the world. And so and they're really interested in coming here because they want to hire more remote workers all over the country. So there are other models. It doesn't have to be we have one office in one place, but right. we really have to push the funding. I mean, the reality is for a lot of scalable companies, you have to raise money to grow. And pretty much all of the funding comes from New York, San Francisco, or Boston. So we really have to not only increase the entrepreneurial mindset in some of these places, but push um, our investors and our leaders um, to invest more across so the country. That's interesting. But Anker and Ryder, I want you to start first. This, I, when I was in at BitSource, I think the Rusty who runs it was saying that we're we don't want companies to come in to save us. He was quite adamant about this idea, and also they don't want to be told that, like lectured at by tech companies, which tech people love to do. And at the same time, he said we don't need to be hired because we're hillbillies. It's not like a it's not a feel good kind of thing. Can you talk about that idea of attracting companies in here because you know everyone's at least the president thinks that a, a manufacturing plant will solve all problems. They're not going to have manufacturing plants in these places. It's it's cheaper to manufacture elsewhere. What do you want from tech companies that most of which are located in San or headquartered in San Francisco or, or the San Francisco Bay Area or New York or Austin? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Definitely agree with the not wanting someone to save us. I mean, Silicon Valley is the result of it's a lot of unique factors that came together. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone's going to have their own sort of recipe for mm-hmm. success. Sure. Um, I, I think it's just to get out and see the you know kind of the the creative capacity um, available throughout the entire country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yes, you know, there's um, amazing things happening uh, in the hubs like. You know, uh, Leanne said, but um, you know, you're missing a lot. You know, there's mm-hmm. only so many. You know, San Francisco is only going to get so big. Mm-hmm. You know, it's where you know there's only so much growth there, and there's so much, so many people who are not in those hubs um, that just be open to other places. What, what would you, as someone who's trying to push the idea of people getting more tech jobs here, what would you like from them? Just opening areas, or is that their responsibility to do that? No, I mean the, the responsibility is you know to the shareholders and, and all that stuff, but I, I think there's a um, distinct things that they can benefit from by not being so insular mm-hmm. and and looking more broadly and seeing and recognizing the talents. We, you know, again, how many of these companies are populated by people from all around the country, and it's not right. just you know native New Yorkers, San Franciscans, and Bostonians. It's it's all of America that just happened to to go there. You know, I, I always think that the, the country now is split, not in the way you think it is. It's that there's it, it a group of people at the very top who believe in the future, benefiting the future. At the very top of the top, they're really benefiting billions and billions and billions of dollars. Then there's a group at the bottom who are not at all, who are losing and will not be on board or are not on board, or it's very hard to get them on board. And then there's a whole group, most people are in the middle, where tech is threatening jobs, their current jobs, 
from driving to warehouse to doctors to lawyers, and increasingly so, who know tech is important and want to be part of this, but are fearful of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I guess from my perspective is, you know, was it uh, 120 years ago, 92% of the population worked in agriculture? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's going to be upheaval and it's going to be terrible for the people who are run over. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we also live a lot longer thanks to some of the things that happen. You know, for most of human history, the average uh, life expectancy was like 25 to 30 years. Right. Right. So it's how do you manage and bring people along, I guess, is going to be the, the biggest trick. And that's, you know, why things like Techie and Code Louisville are, are important things is to, to help bring people along because, you know, tech at the end of the day is a tool. Right. Right. So let's talk about that attitude because I think that was something that really struck out. We don't want we don't want to be lectured to. We, and then people have talked about the arrogance. And believe me, they've got that like that. They should export that as a product. It is that idea. At the same time, they're enormously successful. Why shouldn't they say you should do it our way? We know how to do it. Can you talk about that idea? Because I think it's created a lot of division in the country. The idea of, of an elite, the coastal elite. I was making a joke that I was here in the coastal elite. I couldn't wait to get back on a plane. Just It was kind of it were nice to meet the real people and stuff. And I was trying to make a joke about these issues, but they become rather serious, the idea that some are going to make it and some are just are not. You're absolutely right. I think what we've learned is it's naive to think that one company is going to solve this problem in mm-hmm. eastern Kentucky or anywhere, any regional. Um, and we definitely don't think we're that. We're... We were asked to invited to come participate in the ecosystem, and that's what you have to be the end game. You have mm-hmm. to have multiple companies, multiple tracks, multiple opportunities. Otherwise, you'll just it won't sustain. Mm-hmm. And that's I firmly believe that, and I think you've seen it plenty of examples. So for us, um, a lot of our students after their success, they were featured on The Daily Show, on The New York Times, mm-hmm. Wa- you know, Wall Street Journal, etc. But after we, but when people read those, right. we had companies calling us and saying, hey, and they weren't looking, they weren't trying to be charitable, they weren't trying to give handouts. Right. They're like, we ha- we have a shortage of a, a hundred people in yeah. this department. Yeah. We They're need not this. charitable no. people. Yeah, exactly. And, that's, and that's, that's why I think that, you know, we're not, none of our, us have ever said we're looking for handouts, we're looking for work. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the what and we know and to be honest, from what where I sit and I talk with CEOs and CIOs constantly, and they're saying if you have the capacity and the capability, we're very interested in helping having you help us solve our. But would they prefer problem. to hire in the U.S.? I think some of them yeah. do say that. If we can, I was talking to people at Apple, and they they're doing this advanced technology funding to vendors, and they're like desperate to have vendors here in this country right. versus anywhere else. But well, they'll they'll get it anywhere but, else. But at the end of the day, we're businesses. I'm a for-profit mm-hmm. company. We right. it's a math problem. So when you look at using offshore resources at a low cost and a and a metro, if you will, San Francisco. New York resource at a much higher rate. Right. When you talk about building capacity and capabilities in places like Kentucky, the delta shrinks. Right. So we are having companies when we give our rate card and when we give you know our project bids, they're like, oh, that's actually pretty reasonable. competitive. It's reasonable, right. and the, and the delta doesn't really matter to them. So the, so we're seeing people put a place a premium on the fact that they can fly one flight and come to Kentucky or they can come visit or same time or some reason that they've had failure in the past, mm-hmm. that they're willing to at least take a chance and, and, and do that. We've already delivered several projects. We have got 17 companies that have reached out to us and we're already discussing how we're going to staff with them and work on projects for them. So mm-hmm. I don't see this as you know some sort of lecturing or uh, you know the, the results speak for themselves. You have mm-hmm. to be able to have deliver the quality work Otherwise, this is just going to be, um, you know, a novel thing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, uh, I'm here to tell the rest of the country that this is not a novel thing. There's actually capacity and capability out here, and they should look at it very closely. So, Leanne, you talked about the here sourcing. That's your, that's the word you're using, right? Here sourcing. I think here sourcing, we heard at the Explain back. the Resh- word. Reshoring, offshoring, yeah. reshoring. Rural, rural insourcing. Bringing back jobs yeah. to America. Oh, my God. Okay. All sorts of. <laughs> it's better than we pivot. Yeah, we <laughs> I like here sourcing the best. You're, you like here sourcing? Yeah. So explain that to the people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty simple. You know, instead of, um, you know, looking to India or Africa, looking in your own backyard, right? There's so many talented people, and can we hire, um, you know, technical people to do the same jobs? And there Mm -hmm. are some advantages that just, you know, are very striking, right? Time difference, flights. I mean, I've I've talked to entrepreneurs where, you know, having a direct flight versus a one-stop is the difference in the city they choose. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, we're seeing companies look at different cities for the skills they need, right? Actually, a lot of tech companies right now, I've heard recently need sales positions, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some in technical sales, but just sales in general. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of jobs. They're like, Leanne, I need coders, but also 
I need sales. And they tend to be older white men just based on what the industry has had. So they look, they actually do studies. They spend a lot of money figuring out, should I you know, go to Louisville? Should I go to Cleveland? Where do they have these skills? And I can hire hundreds of people. And that's where they decide to open offices. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the other thing, you know, we're, we've been talking about is sort of, you know, coding boot camps, right? A lot of this, what we're talking about going to school for a few months, a lot of them don't have apprenticeships mm-hmm. and tech companies, they want to hire from them, but they're struggling. A lot of people that are in these jobs, they have computer science degrees. So there is biased around having that type of skill set. Mm-hmm. So that's the other part we're trying to figure out. There's a lot of graduates. I mean, Dev Bootcamp just went out of business. Um, mm-hmm. Iron Yard followed that. So what do we do with all these recent grads who happen to be more diverse? 50% of bootcamp students are women, generally people of color about the same. So they're actually, because it's more accessible. So there's a lot more diversity in this, this new generation of technical talent. But how do we get them that apprenticeship, that first job? Because a lot of companies won't hire them unless they've had that on-job experience. Sure. So could talk about what you do. How, how does your job work? Do you go into the office or what's the... So um, I do work remote one, one day a week. Um, mm-hmm. I like spending time with my kids. Yeah. So um, I, I, I get to do that. But I do. I drive um, from Pikeville to Paintsville every day. And, um, well, four days a week. And, um, you know, it's a great setting to be in. But then, there, you know, there's just sometimes I got to get stuff done around the house. And what's great is, is like I can get stuff done at home during the day and I can code at night and I can do my work at night. And having that flexibility has been invaluable to my family. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're talking about how there's this um, shift with like people hiring and things like that. You know, and I, it always brings to mind that one uh, little picture you see sometimes. It's like, what if the cure to cancer is in mind of somebody who can't afford an education? Right. The Homer uh, Hickam idea. Right. right. So and that's the thing, like, you know, we're seeing that a lot of us didn't have a- education, you know, like I did. But a lot of the people that I I work with now didn't have that education. And we got that chance. Right. And, you know, we need more people to take chances like that to say, okay, I know you didn't get a traditional degree, see, a computer science degree, right? Right, and you know because you know when we started our apprenticeship, we didn't know if we were going to be hired. So a lot of us started looking at jobs, and the biggest thing that we seen was recruiters would call us, and as soon as we say, oh, we've been in a boot camp, but I don't have you know this this certain degree, they're like, oh, well, we we have to have somebody who has a bachelor's degree, right? And to know how different that academic programming is to the real world programming, it kind of like hurt because I'm like, when, but I know how to do it. Yeah, I, I know how to do this. I understand that it's hard to take that chance, but we have to have people to take that chance for us because right, people are coming from diverse backgrounds. Correct. Did you did you your choice was geographical? What about being a woman in in the sector? Well, um, so I've always been that girl who had more in common with boys. I always like played video games, mm-hmm. and I love taking things apart and putting them back together. I, I like knowing how things worked. Um, when I my original plan when I got out of high school was to go into astrophysics. I wanted to wow. be an astronaut. I wanted to that's that was what I want to do. Obviously, life happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did know that I loved computers. So um, when my daughter was a year old, I decided to go get my associates. Um, I actually to finish two associate degrees in three years. Um, so I have one in information security and the other one is in network administration. There was a lot of those classes where I was the only female. And I outperformed every guy in there. Um, and one of the um, gentlemen who was went through techie, um, he there at the end, he's like, you know, you always acted like you have you you were trying to prove something to somebody. I was like, I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. Like I genuinely love what I do. I was trying to prove to myself that I could do this. Right. And I think that's the big you know the big thing for women is they don't think that they can do these things because it's not. It's not traditional. Sometimes it's hard to be like, oh, I know I'm going to go into a male-dominated career. career. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's a little intimidating. But I need more more female friends. Like, my my best friend now, um, we come through this program together. You know, she is doing UI, UX design. Um, she actually is doing, like, information architecture. But, um, you know, I would love to have more friends, more females, more mm-hmm. diversity in my group of people who enjoy the same things I do. And it's so hard to get away from, you know, this is just a guy's thing. Yeah. Even here in Kentucky. It yep. is. Well, hello. <laughs> um, by the way, that guy was uh, negging you. You just neg right back, just so you know, just FYI. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to finish up talking about how you get our population more entrepreneurial, because I think it's the critical part of the whole equation in education and getting people to get into a mindset that they can do things. Just like you're saying, there could be someone who could solve cancers in the middle of nowhere and which we're not accessing them. But first, today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? 
Maybe you're an engineer who moved to the U.S. or a business owner paying suppliers in another country or a freelancer getting paid by a client in a foreign country. You should use TransferWise because when it comes to sending money, banks are stuck in the past. TransferWise is the future. You pay into a local account and TransferWise pays your recipient from an account in their country. Currencies don't need to cross borders, and that should matter to you because it lets TransferWise do the things your bank can't. They charge one low fee and give you a low rate. Is your bank slow and hard to use? TransferWise payments take seconds to set up. See how much you can save by going to TransferWise.com or download the app from the Apple Store or Google Play. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer as in, I need to transfer money to another country. Wise spelled W-I-S-E. TransferWise.com. Today's show is brought to you by Amazon Web Services. Developers love Docker containers because they give applications portability and consistency all the way from your laptop into production. Amazon EC2 container service from Amazon Web Services makes it easy to run Docker apps in the cloud. Deploying, operating, and scaling your infrastructure happens automatically with Amazon EC2 container service. Best of all, you only pay for the AWS compute and storage resources you use. With Amazon EC2 container service, you can focus on building apps, not managing your container infrastructure. Learn more at ecs.aws. We're here talking about the future of jobs. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm talking with a panel of people who are who are involved in trying to bring tech jobs across the nation. Crystal, we were just talking about entrepreneurship. How do you, you said you were that girl who took things apart. I want each of you actually uh, to talk about that. What, you are all entrepreneurial. What motivated you and how do you think we should get people more entrepreneurial? Because I think that really is the key because jobs are changing and how they're structured. You're, it's not a top-down world. You really have to think very fast on your feet anymore. I think that's the thing though is like, things are changing so fast it's really hard for a lot of people to like adapt um you know we've had this set way of how you're supposed to get a job like what you're what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. but that's changing so quickly that people don't know how to you know handle that so you know we've got to um you do these training programs and then get companies to see you know like just because you didn't go to school and you didn't do this traditionally doesn't mean you're not going to be a great employee right so employers have to change their mindset around these people. Right. What about getting people in an entrepreneurial mode? Because a lot of people, again, are, I can't do that, or I don't know how to do that. What do you think is critical to developing those skills? Because you're clearly you're born entrepreneurial. You seem to be. Um, well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with um, really just wanting, having that drive. Um, that's one thing for me is I've always had this drive. I I don't like being told no, or mm-hmm. I can't do something, and um, that's going to just make me work even harder. Yeah, let's check check yeah. on entrepreneurs. But yeah, how so, do you get people? How do I don't. You? So I don't. I think that's something that's really learned, though. Like if you don't come from a family that pushes you to do what you you know to do what you want, what what you believe in, you're not going to have that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial type of mindset because you're always going to be like, well, this is what they wanted me to do, so this is what I'm going to do. You have to take want to take risk. You have to want to better yourself and better other people to be able to to change that right writer how do you how do you can you teach it is it teachable yeah i mean the 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 process is absolutely teachable you know there's some elements of uh you know the the kind of entrepreneurial mindset that you have to have a little bit but uh, i'm not convinced that everyone who is an entrepreneur is the entire universe of people who could be Mm -hmm. so a lot of it is um you know getting out there and showing what's possible you know changing or influencing culture to the local culture to say, Hey, this is not just a thing that happens in big cities. This is, uh, you know, a a thing that happens because of, you know, entrepreneurship happens because of entrepreneurs. Right. Right. So it's, um, just, uh, kind of like encouraging, uh, the the notion of encouraging creative confidence. Mm -hmm. Same sort of idea is encouraging the notion of kind of entrepreneurial, and then Confidence. entrepreneurs are different. I, I just did an interview with uh, two guys that wrote a book about there's four or five different types of entrepreneurs or mentalities and managers yeah. that, that people have a, a vision of one single kind. And it, and it looks, again, like Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or something like that. Yeah, and you have an entire universe. Well, yeah, the, the four broad personalities and different shades in between and different combinations of things. And, and some of it, I mean, just some of the mechanics are, of it are a little daunting. If there's a way that uh, as a community you can kind of bring down some of that friction mm-hmm. and make it more accessible in term, you know, in time it becomes kind of a flywheel 
What's your biggest problem here at Louisville in, in changing those attitudes? Is it the regulators? Is it the government? Is it who? Where is it? The educational system? Good question. Uh, the I think the the biggest thing in terms of um, well, Louisville really took to Code Louisville, right? And it's very much a community based thing. It's uh, people coming together to figure this stuff out. It was just here's the recipe, let's go. So I think in that respect, everyone took to it. I think in terms of it really spinning up and really growing, and I think you know a few hundred people going through is pretty massive. But I think we could do even more. It, some of the companies are just not organized. You know, they're so head down trying to do their thing. They have no capacity to bring on a junior person, and then they they wake up one day and say, "Hey, we can only take on people with three to five years of experience." Guess what? They're all working. Right. So you have to poach them. You know, so um, just being able to to kind of transition to that sort of um, uh, apprenticeship like model, right? And, and yeah, and, and I think the next thing is uh, to grow the local entrepreneurial ecosystem and have it. It's very insular here, mm-hmm. so all the entrepreneurs in town pretty much know each other. Now, how great would it be if? Um, you know, everyone in town knew about those entrepreneurs, uh, you know, in as easily cities. as they do, or in other cities or here, as well as they do, you know, the local, you know, the college basketball coaches. Right. You know, that sort of kind of mass socialization of that as an opportunity, entrepreneurship as an opportunity, uh, hasn't quite happened yet. You know, in, uh, was it the San Jose Mercury News, they've got the startups section, yeah. right? It's just right. normal. Yeah, 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 we like to... To fetishize our startup founders, <laughs> it's, so it's 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 taken an ugly turn over at Uber. Just so you know, uh, when that happens, um, hopefully we can recover from that. I always rag on Uber, but they deserve it and more. I'm going to talk about that—the idea of how you get people elsewhere in thinking that way. Because we do, it's like it's just it's just like the oxygen in Silicon Valley, and I, it's also the, the the iron triangle of education, VCs, and uh, who pet these entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurs themselves. Sure, and I think that there's always that debate: can it, is it inherent? You know, is entrepreneurship inherent, and you're born with it, or can mm-hmm. it be taught? Right? right. I think it's both, but and there's different tracks for different people. Um, I know from my own journey. You know, I my family came from safe careers, a physician and engineer, and mm-hmm. they worked in that same field for 35 years. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a career path at, at a, a large global firm that could have made a great right. living for me. I was missing something, right? I was looking for more, something, build something, impact more. Um, so for me, you know, kind of my journey, I've had tremendous guidance and mentorship, like I said, and I know where I would have – I can – I can – you see the turns. Yeah, I can model what I can model these turns in my life and say, what if I didn't meet that person? What if that person didn't give me that one project? What if that one mentor didn't have time for that coffee and how that impacted me? I mean, it could have been a completely different story. And and I know that it, just by putting that sort of nugget in front of some really driven people like Crystal, um, I ex- fully expect them to see kind of how a scrappy, you know, fast-growing startup works. Maybe they take lessons from that. Maybe in two years they have enough skills to where they have their own idea and start their own company. Right. I mean, that's the multiplier effect of what we're trying to do. So it's funny when I, you know, Elon Musk has his, you know, massive master plan that he mm-hmm. put out 10 years ago, which is very, like, six lines, you know. And yeah. I did something similar where I said, first thing, we got to prove capabilities in Kentucky. Second, we got to get industry validation. Third, we've got to, you know, scale it. So that's what we're working on. We have mm-hmm. a large, uh, we have a larger mission in mind with what we're doing. Primarily, end game is to create more entrepreneurs, create more skills to be entrepreneurial and provide that guidance. We have a couple organizations uh, locally. Endeavor is one that has been tremendously impactful and giving me guidance and some of the other entrepreneurs Ryder mentioned. I mean, it's a strong community of very successful entrepreneurs that have been where we are before. I can mm-hmm. tell you there's times I've turned to my mentors at University of Chicago or them and said, what do we do? And they said, oh, this is no big deal. This is par for the course. You'll be fine. Right. And so they, in, in Zona right. Valley, they can turn to 20 people like over coffee and quickly figure out or call someone. And that's not those kind of networks are have got to be built. That's right. Properly. You got. I mean, I like yesterday at the uh, Tech Jobs Tour event, I, I meant it when I said, if anyone wants to have coffee with me, ping me, tweet me, or DM me. It doesn't matter. I will, mm-hmm. I will do it. Because I know when I ask people for 
few minutes of their time, they always gave it to me. CEOs of Fortune hundreds, uh, entrepreneurs yeah. who are running billion dollar companies. And I wanted to, that's the first step. You've got right. to be able to go and get that feedback, guidance, mentorship. Or people to, have done it. That's Absolutely. right. And people, and I, and, and what I. About from educational point, getting kids thinking they're entrepreneurial. Because yeah. I don't think we teach that. You, there was a, there's something that's a coloring book of entrepreneurship at Sandy. Yeah. The, the, yesterday they said they were going, they were doing a, what a, a K through 12 initiative um, right. in Eastern Kentucky to, to make kids, um, get or to teach kids to be in the mindset of you know I, I can be an entrepreneur I can do whatever well, I you want live there what do kids think their future um honestly I've only been there two two mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. so or a year and a half and um well, you have kids in the system I right? do I do um a lot of them you know they don't I don't think they really realize their full potential mm-hmm. just because they don't have the opportunities that like a kid in, in Louisville would have. Right. Um, and that's what I really hope we can bring, though, is those opportunities so they can see like, oh, look at all this stuff I can do. Oh, I can do it from home. I don't have to leave my family. You know, it's been really great, um, even if I'm living with my in-laws, it's been really great <laughs> to um, have my kids right. around their grandparents. You know, when we lived in Louisville, all of my family have moved off. You know, my mom and brother and sister, they all live in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, so we didn't have any help here. And to be able to go back and have that help and to see like what that like family is like um, and know that you know we could we could do this for so many other families right like that's what I really wish um, well they're very best yeah. small towns are fantastic they're very worse they're just awful I think you know I mean in lots of ways one one point I'll also mention is a, as a as an example of that the people we have kind of taught the the 35 who kind of have have gone into a tech job that was not theirs eight months ago they're teaching their kids Cody on the weekends and at night. And, and like Crystal, it makes me really feel really good when she talks about the flexibility because, you know, we want to build business skills, technical skills, and life skills. I mean, we want I'm, – I'm happy that she can be flexible and work from home and, and mm-hmm. be with her kids. But at the same time, providing that guidance and demystifying tech for that group of people, mm-hmm. they're running with it now. I mean, they're, they're saying, hey, I know now what I need to teach my kids or guide them to potentially be entrepreneurial or potentially have a career in tech. So that's another positive uh, effect of what we're doing. All right, Leanne, how do you teach entrepreneurism? You've been seeing them all over the so far 10 cities. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of what we think we can do is based on our experience and our culture and what we see around us, right? I grew up and my come from a military family. My dad was a teacher. You know, everyone thought I was going to be a teacher even though I was doing things like having bike share companies in my backyard when I was a kid, but no yeah. one pushed well, yeah, me and you that. were like running. Yeah, I mean, show. I was like running <laughs> Where was this? Whatever Barmy base you were on, you were. Yeah, I know, you I had the lemonade things. consortium. Yeah, I, mean, exa- I definitely had one of those businesses. Yeah. I like would go to the candy store. You probably it franchised my, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can was, see that. It's it's actually kind of true. Um, and no one was pushing me towards that, right? Yeah. They're, 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 you're going to be a coach. You're going to be a great basketball coach. I mean, they didn't know I was gay at the time, so it was like really. Mm-hmm. Should they probably regret saying a lot of those things now? Um, You know, but, uh, you know, fast forward, and I don't even think I met anyone close in my life that had their own business until I was in grad school, right? And it wasn't actually until my brother passed away that it sort of reframed the way I thought about risk-taking. You know, so many people think starting your own business is so risky, and it is, right? And there's a ton of privilege. You have to have the resources. You have to raise the money to make that happen. But it's actually, I think, one of the safest jobs you create your own world right. and it takes a couple years but I see so many people they're at the whim of their boss their right. company they can get fired things change um, but it's that it's that culture of risk taking that you have to instill by sort of showing the upside of what's possible but it's so much in who you meet and your community and your network you know even the last couple of years spending more time in the east coast I've met so many more people that have opened so many doors. And I can right. literally go back to moments where if I wouldn't have met this person, my life would be totally different. And this is what we really try to share is the, the power of events, the community, especially for women and local community, especially people, they don't see that meeting one person that they're so focused on doing the work and having the skill. And that's important. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that. You have no, to it's have critical. It's a, I had someone come up to me the other day and said, oh, you had this coffee and it changed my life. And I was like, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember you at all, but you're welcome. But we, I want to finish up talking a little bit about some tips that we can give to entrepreneurs because I think one of the hardest things in somewhere like this, it's a lot easier again in somewhere like Silicon Valley or New York or Austin, is the idea that you can do that. Like the, when you've been so beaten down by an economy that just seems hopeless, you turn obviously opiates are, is a big problem here in Kentucky and elsewhere. You just turn to hopelessness. It just it sort of cycles in and of itself, and then it becomes almost impossible to pull people out because they don't think of their lives that way. 
each of you, uh, let's start, uh, go around. We'll start with you, Ankur. And this is Ankur Gopal, and your company is called Interapt. How many people do you employ? Uh, we have about 38 right now. 38 now. Okay. A tip, thing that you did right and wrong very quickly. Oh, gosh. We only have an hour. Um, <laughs> no, no, you have four seconds. Uh, yeah. Right and wrong. I think I think one of the things I did was that I always sought guidance. I never was satisfied, and I always asked people who were be- who knew more than I, and I followed up that advice. So I think that's a really strong trait of mine. I, I take feedback and, and guidance well, and I measure it. Um, what I did wrong, I think this is, and a lot of entrepreneurs fall in this track, is that they they look up to someone as a mentor, which really, but really that mentor isn't delivering to them. Mm-hmm. So I my I would suggest to, and I've had that happen a few times that I don't longer do. So my advice is to any man who mentors you hold their feet to the fire too, whether it's an investor, whether it's a mentor, because their responsibility is to give you proper guidance, feedback, and continual feedback that will help you evolve. So don't get stuck, caught in that rut by. You know, someone who's apathetic and not giving you the advice and mentorship you need. Okay, Ryder Rodriguez from Code Louisville. Yeah, so Louisville, right? Louisville. That's right. Louisville. Yeah. My Louisville. son's name is Lua. I'm calling it Lua now. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a team game. So, um, you know, I was listening to the to the podcast, your, your last podcast that you referenced, and mm-hmm. um, I've learned my strengths and my weaknesses, and I tried to um, get a team around me that complimented, not so much complimented me, but that we complimented each other. Sure. Because it is a, a team thing. You know, so much of the kind of the, the notion of the entrepreneur is kind of like the solo hero entrepreneur, but it really happens because of the team right. together. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's hard to be self-aware, but, you know, try and cultivate self-awareness and, and find people um, that you can do great things with. And mistake? Um, well, I don't know. It's not, it's it got here because of mistakes. Um, right. it's really the only big mistake is to stop. You just have to keep going. Keep going. And it's you know you hear the fail fast or whatever, but it's just okay. Learn that thing. Keep going. Just no matter what, step after step after step, keep going. You're going to make mistakes, and and that feeling of, of learning that failures are right. Is harder here because they've had so much, much more failure recently. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Um, team, I think, is absolutely critical. Some, you know, that expression. There's no me in team, but there actually is. There actually, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> Two of those letters are sitting right there. <laughs> that's funny, Leanne. I know it is. Um, you can laugh. <laughs> All right, Leanne, and then we'll finish up with Crystal. This is Leanne Pittsford, who is running the Tech Tour. Uh, going around the country talking to people about tech jobs. So I think running mini experiments, I think some of the things, you know, even the things that I assumed would be true, um, testing those with mini experiments in a short way so you can, you know, I mean, it's it's cliche, but it's true, but so you can fail fast and figure mm-hmm. out what's working. Um, I think doing a lot of those early, right? I mean, now I really know what makes a great event. I can do that in my sleep, and it's because I've ran a series of experiments and have seen in different communities what really works. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of the mistakes are around for me personally, just scope creep. I love to do everything all the time and I love to say yes to everything and try to make it work. And sometimes you do have to, um, you know, stay true to your focus and the problem you're trying to solve. All right. And mistake. That's your mistake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, All right. Crystal, you work at Interapp now. You're living in Pikesville, Kentucky. What do you think key lessons are to try to change this? And everything's on your shoulders, just so you know. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. Um, Oh goodness! Um, you know what? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, I know that we've. There's so much that has to happen. That like in, in Eastern Kentucky, um, there's so much that that needs to happen for the people to to come together and say, okay, um, we know that we don't have it great right now, but we need to change. And I think that you know the biggest success for Techie was you know we've got you know all these people now that can have proved that we've got the knowledge there, you know so. Hopefully that kind of takes off. Um, I guess for me, you know, that's really important. You know, my kids are in elementary school right now, and you know, we talked yesterday. I want to do robotics, uh, like a robotics oh, sure. or teach coding. You know, and I've reached out to the principal to you know see what can I do to do this because I know they don't have that there, and I I want them to like I want when my son sits beside me when I'm coding, I want the joy that I see on his face and the questions that he asks me. I want those from other kids because I know we can't be the only one with those, you know, with those questions and that hunger to to know these things. And I think it's really going to need to start. We're going to need to start there when they're young. And that's just not what they have right now. And I'm more than willing to put my extra time in to teach these kids that because um, even though I'm not from Pikeville, Mm -hmm. um, I 
have a passion for that area because I see what these people can do and, you know, what kind of things that we can bring. So are you hopeful? Um, yes, actually, I am. Um, I think that now that we've seen the success of Techie and and things like that, people are going to be more willing to say, OK, so maybe we do need to change. You know, this maybe we're not thinking about this right. And that's going to help make things better for everybody. You know, we're going to be able to realize that just because you work at the hospital doesn't mean that or, you know, a doctor's office, it doesn't mean you don't need someone to help make that more accessible with with tech or, you know, hey, maybe you need an app for that, you know, Mm -hmm. to make it more accessible for people who can't get an app because it's a 30 minute drive for me to get anywhere to go go shopping. So, you know, you try to think about those things and solve those problems. Um, And I I really think that we've started that. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, all of you. This has been a really fascinating discussion here in Louisville, Kentucky. It was great talking to you all. And thank you for joining me on Recode Decode, Kentucky edition. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with AOL co-founder Steve Case, Fox News host Steve Hilton, and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech and more. Last week, we were eating plant-based hamburgers that bleed. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, where we interviewed lots and lots of tech stars and more. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Recode Decode. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. Thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. And thank you to Radio Joe here in Louisville. Thank you. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. Hi, I'm Lauren Grush, space reporter for The Verge. I want to tell you about my new series, Spacecraft. As the daughter of two rocket scientists, I've been around space my whole life. But for the first time ever, I'm learning what it takes to train like an astronaut, from the physical demands of the job to trying on a Mars spacesuit. And then I'm going for a spin in zero gravity. Check out new episodes of Spacecraft on youtube.com slash The Verge and on our Verge Science Facebook page. 